Yeah, if you could, turn to Psalm 23 with me, and um, hopefully you got a handout on the way in. If you didn't, then somebody's got them. So they're here. Um, just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. So we're going to kind of do the second half of Psalm 23. And, you know, it honestly didn't, it, it worked out this way that we kind of did the first three verses the other day, or last week, and now we're going to kind of do the last three verses. But I'll say this about Psalm 23. I, I hope that by the end of it, we have a kind of a big picture view of what it all looks like. Um, you know, it's hard. My mind, what I try to do, the way my mind automatically thinks is like, you know, in an outline form. Like, people at work get tired of me sending emails that have outlines and lists, but that's, that's the way my mind thinks. Like, I, I take everything and make a process out of it, and I think sometimes I try to do that to God's Word, and it's like, well, this is a piece of, like, beautiful poetry that King David wrote, and I maybe, maybe I'm analyzing it too much, so uh, just... And, and also some of the stuff is going to kind of repeat from last week, but these themes that we're seeing are just all, they just, they go throughout the, the um, they go throughout the psalm. So let's do this. Let's read Psalm 23 and then we'll dive in. It says this, verse 1, Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Back in November, um, I, I started reading the Chronicles of Narnia series with my kids. And if you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia series, you should be, because it's a great piece of literature, uh, great, you know, it's like seven books, it's a great, great stories. If you've seen the movies, um, they're okay. And it, I, usually, and this is almost true for any time that there's a book in a movie, I almost always think the book is better. Go for the book. Um, and then watch the movie, and you know, you'll be kind of happy about that you did, but you also say, well, I know the real story. So Chronicles of Narnia series, well, it ends, and we don't have time to talk about the whole series, but it ends, um, book seven is called The Last Battle. And it kind of is a picture of the book of Revelation and what's going to happen at the end of time. And so the beautiful part, what happens is there's a lot of chaos. The first six, six and a half books uh, there's battles, there's wars, there's difficulty, life is happening. They get to book seven, there's this big deception. It's like it pictures the Antichrist coming in and taking over. There's false religious systems. Another battle, I mean, things are like, things are bad. And then what happens at the end is they get, they, the characters in the book eventually get to this place called Aslan's country. So Aslan is the one who represents Christ. And so when they get to Aslan's country, it's, it, it, it pictures eternity for us. It pictures heaven. And, and as they're getting into Aslan's country, it's beautiful. It reminds me of Psalm 23. There's you know, green grass, and there's flowing water, and just, uh, people are happy, and there's joy, and it's beautiful, and it's great imagery, and the language is incredible. It's really good. And um, There's this phrase that keeps coming up as the characters are are advancing through Aslan's country. And the phrase that keeps coming up is this further up and further in. So there's a quote on the next slide, if you could show that. It's when they get there. So this this is what one of the characters says. He says, I've come home at last. This is my real country. 
says, I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. And once, once we, even back in January, we, we, went, we started in that deeper series. Right? We talked about going deeper in 21. And the first thing I thought of was, was this quote, but this further up and further in. Because I think what happens as Christians, we get saved. You know, we get saved, we become Christians, and we kind of have this tendency to become complacent. Like, we have everything we need, you know, we're good in our Christian life. But I, I, my, our challenge, and my challenge for us today is that we would see how can we go deeper? How can we go further up and further in? Because Aslan's country, as it's rolling out, as the characters are going, it's like they keep going, and as they keep going, it keeps getting bigger. It keeps expanding. There, keeps, there continues to be more and more and more and more and more. And I think what we cannot do in our Christian life is just say, well, I've arrived. I've got enough. I've got my ministry. I got my quiet time. I check that off the list. I go to Life Fellowship. And then we're like, we're good. We need to keep going. We need to go further, further up, further in. And I think that's what we'll see in Psalm 23 today. So just a quick recap from last week. We talked about five different things. We talked about how the Lord being our shepherd we need to allow him to lead us, to feed us, to satisfy, restore, and to know us. And the key to that is to allow that to happen. Like God has that for us. You know, the, the, the green grass and the still water, it's there. We have to partake in it. We have to, we have to eat it. We have to be satisfied by it. Um, like you can lead a horse to water, right? but you can't make him drink. That's how God is with us. Like, he leads us there. We got to take the step to actually, you know, to actually eat. So we're going to get kind of boring. Number one, boring because it's repetitive. Number one, if I'm the Lord's sheep, he desires to feed me. We're going to go right back to food. This might be a reflection of like my fleshly desires because I love to eat. So maybe I'm seeing food all over the place in this passage, but it's really all over the place. So last week we saw that he leads us beside the still waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures. And we talked about how for a sheep, that's really all we need. That's all a sheep needs, right? Is grass and water. God takes it a little bit further here. God takes it a step further in verse 5 where he says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So let's, let's back up a little. Let's go to why. Why does God desire to feed us? And this is repetitive a little bit from last week as well. The why is for his name's sake, for God's name. This is why he desires to feed us, so that we can walk in paths of righteousness. Um, Psalm, 20, or Psalm 34 verse 3 says, Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 29 verse 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You see this all throughout the Bible, God's people are meant to exalt God's name. That's what we do. That is our purpose. That's why we live. And so we talked last week about the paths of righteousness. And when we stay on the paths of righteousness, that allows us to exalt God's name. When we deviate from those paths, when we get away from righteousness, that is when God's name is not going to be honored. That's when his name is not going to be glorified. It's heartbreaking to me to see, in, you see in the news about the moral failure, or you hear about moral failure of a pastor, or you hear about a church split, or a church has a big controversy. And it, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because what happens is when God's people get off the path of righteousness, it allows the outside world to talk bad about God's name. And that is, that, that is, 
the opposite of what should be happening. Like when people look at our lives, when people look at Midtown Baptist Temple, when people look at churches, they sh- that should cause them to, to wonder and to say, why in the world are they glorifying God's name? Why in the world are they living that way? And that gives us a chance to say, because it's for God's honor, it's for God's glory. And so we have to stay on those paths of righteousness. You know, what's really awesome to me, is, especially as you read through the Old Testament, is how God will reveal himself in new ways you know, by giving by 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 a new name, so he'll he'll present himself. It, he'll he'll do something new and something different. And somebody in the you know in the Old Testament, this was famous. They would take a they would set up an altar and say Jehovah blank fill in the blank whatever however God had just revealed Himself. Um, one example is in Genesis fifteen verse one, and here's what Genesis fifteen verse one says. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. For I am, thy, I am thy shield and thy, and thy exceeding great reward. Well, what had just happened with Abram? He just, got done winning a, he just got done in a battle, fighting against a group of kings. So God said, I'm your shield, I'm your protection. And then Abram wins this battle, and he could have just taken all the spoils, right? He could have gathered up. He won the battle. He could have taken everything, but he doesn't. He says, I'm going to give it back to the kings that it belongs to. So God's telling him, I protected you, I'm your shield, and... I'm your exceeding great reward. You don't need all that stuff. You don't need the fruit. You don't need the results of the battle. You don't need to win. You don't need the, the, you know, the benefits that come with that because I am enough for you. I am the one for you. And so my question for us today is, we think about God feeding us for righteous, you know, for, for his name's sake. When was the last time that God revealed himself to you in a new way? When was the last time you were so desperate you were needy, you were maybe, you know, maybe walking through the valley of the shadow of death like we'll talk about later. When was the last time that you can say, God showed me something new? God showed me, God revealed something to me. Because here's what happens. So, okay, so what God does, he prepares a table for us, right? So he prepares this table for us. So last summer, um, last spring and summer before we moved to Kansas City, I was you know, living in Monmouth, Illinois, and my family lives in a little town called Erie. Uh, my family, like my brother, sister, my parents. My brother has this business. He, he, does a, he has a landscaping business, mows yards, and I was in a spot where I couldn't work because of the pandemic. So I was, a, I was employed by a school district, but they said, that's great that you work for the school, but you can't actually be with kids or any parents, so don't work. And it was a blessing because they said, well, we're still going to pay you, but you don't actually have to do anything. I'm like, great. This is like the best job I've ever had. Thank you. But I was bored. And so I called my brother and he's like, yeah, you can help. Like, come up and work for me. So I drive up there and work like three or four days a week. And the, something that, that the, the other thing that happened then is I would drive up there and just work. And then I, would, I was living with my parents at the time. So, you know, you, you, you fight this feeling of like, Yep, I'm a 37-year-old, sleeping in my parents' basement, like working for my brother. This feels weird, but it was a blessing. Like it was great, whatever. I got to work and exercise. It was cool. What I realized, though, I'm eating dinner with my parents like every night. And what I realized is that my parents have been eating the same meals for like 30 years. Like I'm sitting down at dinner with them, and I felt like I was a 10-year-old again because it was the same food like cooked in the same way, like my parents, it, it was, 
the same. And there's nothing wrong with routine, and there's nothing wrong with being the same, but it just made me think like, maybe they're in a bit of a rut. And again, I'm a routine person. Like, I would eat the same five meals, five nights. That doesn't matter to me. But I was thinking about how this happens with us and the Lord pretty often. We come, we hear a message, we come to our quiet time, and it's kind of like the same meal over and over again. Now, there are some basic fundamental things from the Word of God that we need to know. Like, we have to be reminded of these things. Do you ever read through the Old Testament and think, like, okay, the book of Judges, they're following the Lord and doing well, and then the next verse, they're not. And then the next verse, they are. And then the next verse, they're not. And God keeps reminding them of the same thing over and over and over again. And sometimes I think, why don't they get it? What's wrong with these people? And then I realize, wait, God's talking to me here because that's exactly what I do. Like, I am those people that Judges. And so there's something to be said for that consistency, right? There's something to be said for that this is who God is and He's the same and He reveals it. Like, it's, it's beautiful and it's great. But sometimes, you know, we have to stretch ourselves so that we're in a position where God says, I'm new to you. I don't think God, God wouldn't have revealed Himself in certain ways. Rich and Scott wouldn't have learned certain things about the Lord had they not gone to Boston. Had they not said, we're going to go on a missions trip. We're going to get outside of our comfort zone and go somewhere where God wants us to be so that we can see and learn and hear new things from Him. I think what happens is the Bible is like a plate of superfoods. These are superfoods on the left, whatever that means. I don't know. And then what we treat the Bible like, though, is we treat it like junk food. right? We treat it like real casually. We treat it like, like, it, like it's just there. Like, like it doesn't matter too much. Have you ever been to a cookout? Maybe somebody grills like pork chops or steak and it looks awesome, right? It looks really good. And then you go through the line and they hand you like a plastic fork or maybe a plastic knife and you're like, okay, this is not going to help me eat that. So you're, you're thinking like, how can I eat a steak with my bare hands, right? Because this is going to be really difficult. I think we do that a lot of times with the word of the Lord. Like, it's this beautiful meal. God's prepared this table for us. It's delicious. It's nutritious. It'll sustain us. It's really, really good for us. And we just kind of approach it casually. Like, I'm going to try with this plastic fork, but if it doesn't work, I'll just eat the potato salad. I'll just eat the chips because it's too much work to do that. Like, it's, it's too much work to figure out how to eat this. It's too much work. And, and the, the crazy thing is we have teachers every week who are like master chefs preparing God's word and laying it out on a table for us when we come to church and we can just we just kind of sit there like nah it's God's word it's casual we just treat it that way we had a friend uh, a pastor friend from Belize and he came to stay in our home this was before we had kids this is like 10 years ago and he so I remember he and his wife were at our home for a couple of days and they had two sons back home in Belize, so he calls his kids just to catch up, and he's telling them, he's saying things like, they have really good food here, like, they have yogurts, and they have cheese, and they have chicken, and like, things that we just take for granted, right? Like, I always have those things in my fridge, it's not a big deal. But Artemio in Belize, you know what's in his fridge? Every time I've been there, there's literally almost nothing in his fridge. They eat rice and beans, like, every day. Maybe they'll have chicken once a week, maybe throw in some cabbage, maybe some tortillas, but it's essentially the, 
rice and beans all the time. And so what we do is we sit here with the feast of God's Word, and we just take it for granted because it's always there. Our fridge is always full. I mean, I would imagine that everybody here, your fridge, your pantry, it's full. God's Word is like always full. It all, God always has prepared a table for us. And we just like, eh, there's this great food there. I'll eat the french fries. I'll just eat the leftovers. I'll eat the kind of the garbage part of God's Word. When Elliot was really little, when Elliot was a baby, uh, we got concerned because he hadn't gone to the bathroom, number two. He hadn't gone to the bathroom for days. And we're just like, okay, this isn't healthy. Something's wrong here. So I think, you know, four or five days go by and we're thinking, this isn't good. So we call the doctor and the, here's, here's, what, here's the doctor's response. He said, you know, what are you feeding him? He said, well, he's, he's drinking from a bottle, but it's breast milk. And so the doctor said, well, here's what happens. That milk is so nutritious and his body needs it so bad that there's literally no waste. Nothing is coming out because his body needs all of that nutrition. And I just think, what a great picture of the Word of God. The Bible says it's the sincere milk of the Word of God that's going to help us to grow. Like we get that sincere milk. There's so much good, but I feel like we just, we just waste it. We just let it go out. We just take a little bit in and we leave some behind. And if we are hungry, if we are desperate, then we're going to be absorbing and eating all that the Lord has for us. So that's all I'm going to talk about food. But I think as we prepare, especially for the, the all-church retreat, as we're pre- preparing for camp, we've got to put ourselves in a place where we're desperate for the Lord to speak. So the second part of this, uh, kind of verse 4. Well, okay, verse 4, he's walking through the valley of the shadow. Verse 5, in Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, you pre- Thou preparest a table before me. So we've talked about that. we talked about the food that we need from the Word of God and how we can't approach it casually because it's so good for us. It's so nutritious. But the second thing I want to talk about on this is he says, he, God's preparing this table for us, and it's in the presence of our enemies. And David is speaking from personal experience. David is the one who literally is at King Saul's table eating, and Saul picks up the javelin and throws it at him, like ready to kill him. So David has experience with this. After that, David's on the run. He's fleeing. He's you know running and hiding, and literally... King Saul and his armies are all around him, surrounding him, and God is protecting him. So just really quickly, let's talk about enemies. I want to talk about, so just write these verses down. We don't have time to go there. Matthew 5.44 is Jesus' teaching on how we treat our enemies. And then Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21 is Paul's teaching. And these all run the same thing, so theme. So Matthew 5.44, and then Romans 12.19 and 21. That's a little bit of homework. But let's do this. Let's turn together to Proverbs chapter 25, and we'll see, because this is consistent teaching. So you're in Psalms. Let's just go right over to Proverbs 25, 21 and 22, and here's what it says. It says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. So... When God's preparing this table before us in the presence of our enemies, I think a couple of things are happening. One, God gives us that provision that we need and he protects us from our enemies. He gives us peace. We'll talk about that in the next point. Another thing that I think is happening here 
And, and this is a little bit, um, maybe speculation. This isn't, I, I can't necessarily like say this is the verse that says that. I kind of think that what God's saying is when, when you're prepared and you're eating at that table, I think what he's saying is invite your enemies to eat there with you. It's not good enough to say God's protected us and we're here, we're in this church, it's safe, it's good. No, what he's saying is you have all this food and you, it's been prepared for you. Your enemies should be here with you. Your enemies should be here eating with you. Like when we get wronged, right, when somebody does us wrong, the natural reaction is to lash out. The natural reaction is to get back at them. But what the Bible is consistently saying is we love those people, we pray for them, maybe we even invite them to dinner at our house to see how we can work it out, to see how we can get things better. I think that's what he's saying. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, or in Proverbs chapter 20, he says, it says, don't recompense evil, he says, but wait on the Lord. And this is really hard. We talked about waiting last week waiting for God to show us the path. Well, I think what happens here with this being with our enemies is God is telling us to wait. Don't get revenge. God's going to do that for you. And we can read this and say, how long do I wait? Well, I'll wait until God gets revenge for me, until that person, something bad happens in that person's life. Then I'm going to be all over it. I'm going to be like in their face, telling them how bad they are, telling them they were wrong, rubbing it in. But that's not what we see with David. David waits. David should have been king, right? David's anointed king, but he says, nope, I'm going to wait. Saul is king now. I'm not going to mess with God's anointed. He waits, and he waits, and he waits. And then Saul dies, and David is finally to the point where he says, I'll take the throne. But he takes it in humility. And he takes it and brings reverence to King Saul and to King Saul's family. And so that's the right way to approach that. When I think we should think about it this way. If you think about getting revenge, right? You think about how can I get back at someone? I think we all just need to remember that we are sheep. Like, if I'm a sheep, okay, if I'm a sheep and some wolf comes in and kills my brother, my brother's sheep, as a sheep, what am I going to do? I, I, literally, I literally can't do anything. Like, I can't even... I can't even make a noise that will scare the sheep that will scare the wolf away. Like I'm just stuck. I'm just a sheep. I, that's all I can do. Like nobody has ever named a sports team the sheep because sheep aren't tough. Like sheep can't do anything. Like in high school we were the Cardinals. And uh, if you're a St. Louis Cardinals fan, what I'm sorry, but that is not a tough bird. Like they're this big and they're weak. And so what, what, what somebody did when we were in high school is they, they tried to draw this cardinal with like, with like these big teeth on it. It was the profile of a cardinal with the beak, and it had all these teeth in it. And I thought, even if this cardinal has teeth, they're like this big, and the bird itself is this big. It's not tough. Like, don't try to make something tough that's not tough. It just doesn't work. Um, sheep aren't tough. Like, we have no ability in ourselves to go get revenge. And that's okay. That's okay because of number two. Number two, if I'm the Lord's sheep, he promises to comfort and protect me. I don't need, I don't need to get revenge. I don't need to even really protect myself. Why? Because God is the one who's going to comfort me and God is the one who's going to protect me. Psalm 23, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So why do we need comforted? Why do we need protected? 
Um, because life is hard. That's the simple answer. Life is hard. Remember in the book of Mark, so Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching, and he's, he's out on the boat teaching. There's a multitude of people. It's this great message. I picture just the sun is shining. People are picnicking. They're listening to Jesus teach. The disciples are thinking, this is great. Like, we're working with a rock star. We're working. There's multitudes here. I mean, they're like signing autographs after the show. It's, life is good, right? At the end of the chapter, Jesus is like, let's, let's go over the sea. Let's go over this to the other side. And Jesus goes into the boat, and he's asleep, and all of a sudden the storm comes. And in Matthew, or Mark chapter 4, it literally says that the ship was full of water. Like, it's bad. Things are rough. This is, this is how life goes, right? Things are nice. Green pastures, still water. We're picnicking with our family. And then it floods. And then life is chaos. Everything we know is destroyed. People are you know, panicked, and it's chaos, and it's difficult. Yesterday, it wasn't like that. So, bad news, but I think you all know this. If your life seems like green pastures and still waters today, there's a decent chance that there will be a flood tomorrow. It's just going to happen. It's just part of life, right? How does God help us deal with that? How does God help us get through that? I think the how is by being with us. He promises to be with us, right? Psalm 124 starts out, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, and this is Israel talking, they're saying, if God hadn't been with us, man, how much much worse it would have been. In Deuteronomy 31, chapter 6, it says, be strong and of a good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God's not going to fail us. God's not going to forsake us. He's going to be there with us. The beautiful thing about the promise, the the promise of eternal life, this eternal security that we have, that we teach, and it's so important. The beautiful thing about it is that when we get saved, right, we become the habitation of God. Ephesians 2.22 says, we are God's habitation. God lives inside of us. So, when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death and you think, God, where are you? My life is so difficult right now. God's saying, I can't get any closer. I'm literally living inside of you. I dwell with you. I'm there. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So even if you're in the valley of the shadow of death and you say, God, I don't even believe in you anymore. God says, I'm faithful. I I can't deny myself. I live inside of you. I can't deny myself. You can deny God. You can walk through the valley. It can be difficult, but God can't deny himself. So how does God comfort us? How does God protect us? By being with us. How comforting it is if you're going through a difficult time to have someone just come alongside of you, to just be there with you. You They don't have to say anything. They don't have to do anything. Like They just show up with a pizza, and you're like, this ministers to my heart. Thank you. Like, just be there. Just suffer with each other. The other way that God does this is through the rod and the staff. And we're, we're not going to dive into these. We don't have much time. Do a word study on the rod. Do a word study on the staff. The rod is kind of a picture of discipline, right? You see that in the Bible, the, the rod of correction. When somebody's out of line, that correction gets us back into line. That, that, that's how God protects us from wandering off the path of righteousness. He just gives us a little bit of 
oh, get back on track. You're not in the right spot. The staff is similar, but the staff is usually, usually what, they, what scholars say is it's that pole that has the crook on the end, and a, a shepherd can use that to grab the sheep and pull them back in. So when somebody's wandering, when somebody's lost, when somebody's off track, that staff pulls them back in. And I think sometimes it's, it's hard to think of discipline as God's love, right? Or God's comfort. But I think that we all need it. We all long for it. We were on a missions trip once um, in Belize. And the team had some time in the morning. So we had a couple hours in the morning. And in the, this village is right on a lagoon. So the, there were a bunch of kids that we were doing VBS with. And the kids all wanted to take a swim. And they're like, come down to the lagoon. Well, all right, let's go to the lagoon and let's go swimming. I found out later that there's crocodiles in the lagoon just a little ways away, but still a little bit concerning. But we were fine. We were making a lot of noise. And there was a little boy. He's like this big. And we were all swimming out here in the lagoon, and he's picking up rocks, and he's throwing them. Well, what do little boys do when they see rocks and water? They pick them up and throw them. Like, okay. But he's throwing them, like, close to our team. And he wasn't, he liked us. At least I thought he did. And he, so he was at VBS, and we were hanging out with him, but he's throwing these rocks. And, and I'm warning him, like, I warned him, hey, don't throw rocks over there. Throw them on the other side of the dock. No, it's fine. He, he keeps doing it. So I, have to, I get out of the water, and I go up to him, and I, and I kind of grabbed him by the hand, and I said, you're going to sit over here. You're not going to swim with us. You're not going to throw any rocks. You're not going to move from that spot because, because you're not listening to us. You can't participate. And he's mad, and he sits down. We get done swimming, and we're, and we're, all, gonna, we're all walking back, right? We're all walking back to, our, to where we're staying. And I'm walking along, and I feel this hand, like, grab my hand. And it's that little boy. And you'd think that he hates me. You'd think that I just disciplined him. I kept him from swimming. I kept him from having fun. You'd think he would hate me. But he grabbed onto my hand, and we were best friends the rest of the week. We need discipline. We need comfort. We, I think kids, if you have kids, they long for guidance. They long for structure. They need it. We all need it. We need it from the Lord. Like, let Him guide you. Let Him lead you. Let Him protect you. It's something that He's really, really good at. It's something that He wants to do. So let Him lead you. Let Him comfort you. Let Him protect you. Two more. Number three, if I'm the Lord's sheep, He longs to dwell with me. Verse 6 in Psalm 23, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why does God want to dwell with us? I think because He loves us. He loves us. How does God do this, right? How does God dwell with His people? Well, we already talked about how He lives inside of us, and then He speaks to us through His Word. The Bible is full of examples all the way from Adam to the tabernacle, to Solomon's temple, to altars, all these different ways of God trying to communicate with his people. That's what he's trying to do the whole time. It's like God's here, his people are here. 
And God's like, okay, what do I do? I'll talk to them directly. Okay, what do I do? I'll come down in a mountain and write my word on tablets of stone so Moses can take them to the people. Then let's build a tabernacle. I'll come to the tabernacle. The people can be there with me. Um, Let's build a temple now that we're established in the city. And I'll come into that temple and I'll dwell with them and I'll be there with them and I'll speak to them. I'll give them my word. And then we're in the New Testament and he comes in the person of Jesus Christ and now the Holy Spirit can live inside of us. That's what God's been desiring since creation started to dwell with us, to spend time with us, to be with us. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses is getting ready to go up into the mountain. God's giving him instructions in in Exodus 24 verse 12. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, "Come Come up to me into the mount and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. The first thing he tells him, he says, Come up into the mount. And then he says, and be there. Just be there. Just dwell with me. Just hang out with me. Just spend time with me. He says, and then I'll give you the commandments and the law, and I'm going to reveal that to you. But if you don't come up and just be with me, I can't reveal myself to you. So if the Lord's not been revealing himself to us in new ways, maybe we're not dwelling with him very well. Maybe we're not just being with him. Maybe we're not spending adequate time there. It's really easy to treat our quiet times like a checklist, right? Like, yep, I read my three chapters today. Check. And we go on our day. I read my chapter. I read my five. I went to Bible study this week. Check. 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 And we just go through it and it's part of our day. We put it in our planner. It's like, oh, I got it. I think God's telling us, slow down. Breathe. Just dwell with me. After Moses goes up into the mount, he gets the, he gets the law, he gets the commandments, he comes back down. It's time for God's people to move. And in, and in Exodus 33, verse 15, Moses speaks back to God. It says, And he said unto him, He said unto Moses, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. God, you've spoken to me. But if your presence isn't going to go before us, if your presence isn't going to lead the way, we're going to stay right where we are. We're going to stay at the foot of this mountain. I know the promised land is there, and it looks awesome. I can't wait to get there. But God, I will wait till I hear from you. I will wait until it's clear from you that this is what I should do. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This is the heart of King David. This is the heart of a sheep to just be with the shepherd. Just dwell with Him. Just spend time with Him. Number four, if I'm the Lord's sheep, goodness and mercy will follow me. The beginning of verse six says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and and mercy. Why will goodness and mercy follow us? Well, because the shepherd is good and merciful. The shepherd is good and merciful. So if we are walking with the shepherd, if we are following him, then goodness and mercy are going to follow us. When I was thinking through this verse, I was thinking about a boat driving through the water. When a boat drives through the water, it leaves behind a wake. There's something that comes after. You see this wake. You can see the results of the boat ripple all the way across the lake. 
Depending on the size of the lake and the size of the boat, they might be big waves by the time they get to the shore. They might be small, but there's an effect, right? Something comes after it. And so as sheep following Jesus, following the shepherd, we should just be riding in in God's wake. Like God is going before us. He's leading us. He's good and he's merciful. So what follows after him? Well, goodness and mercy. And if I'm following after that, and that goodness and mercy is coming into my life, then it's just naturally going to flow out of my life as well. I was thinking about it this way as well. When you enter into a room and you engage with people, and then you leave, would you say, well, goodness and mercy stayed because that's what I gave to people. That's what I invested in people. That's what I left there. When you have dinner with your family, and it's, it's over, and your kids go to do their thing, and you're, you go do your thing, and the evening goes on. Did you leave goodness and mercy at the table? Did that follow after you? When you have a meeting at work, would people say, oh, that guy is full of goodness. That lady, she is so full of mercy. Or are you one of those people that, like, you know, you're like a tornado that goes through, and you leave a wake of destruction. You leave this path of just being harsh with people, and no mercy, and you're not good. Like, we always have an influence, right? Everywhere we go, every interaction we have, we're going to leave behind something. We're going to leave behind goodness. We're going to maybe leave behind mercy. Maybe we're going to be the opposite, and maybe not. As we follow the Lord, right? As we, as we walk in the paths of righteousness, as we allow Him to feed us, as we allow Him to, to dwell with us, as we allow Him to know us, the natural result of all of that is that as we go through life, goodness and mercy follow after us. It just has to be the natural result. And as that happens, as that goodness and mercy follow after us, that's what's going to attract the lost world. That's what's going to attract people to our lives because they're full of goodness and they're full of mercy. When... Uh, when the last book in that Chronicles of Narnia series comes to an end, it's the last battle. The book's winding up. And you know, by this point, you've inve- you're in book seven, so you've invested a bunch of your life into reading this book, into reading this series. And uh, you get to the end, and this is how the book ends. The quote's on the screen. It says, it says, their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Aslan's country is a picture of eternity. It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the life to come. And I believe that these words just capture a little bit of what it's going to be like in heaven, what it's, a little bit of what it's going to be like to be with Jesus forever. And my prayer for us is that we would take this idea of going further up and further in, further submission to God, further allowing Him to lead us and guide us, further allowing Him to feed us, that we would take that and that our lives would reflect this, that the next day in our life, the next week, the next chapter, whatever the next thing that we have going on in our life, that it would be better than anything that came before because we're following after the Lord. I got to stress that it's not about let's work harder for the Lord. Let's do more ministry. Let's create this program. Let's 
It's really about abiding. It's really about dwelling. It's really about being a sheep. And if we put ourselves in that lowly, sheepish position, we allow the shepherd to guide us, and we're going to start living life like this, like we're in Aslan's country already. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being our shepherd. Thanks for walking us through Psalm 23. Thanks for giving us King David. Like to, he lived out these things in your, that, we're see, that we see in your word. Um, it was part of who he was. And uh, he has so much credibility to just speak on them. And, and they're so relatable, Lord. Um, God, I pray for the people today that are going through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe there's sickness at home, or maybe there's doubt about church re- all church retreat, or maybe there's financial difficulty, or maybe whatever it is, Lord, this valley of the shadow of death, this difficult time in life is happening to some of us, to all of us. And so I pray that as we're in those positions, that you would comfort us that you would protect us, protect us from sin while we're in those positions, protect us, Lord, from indulging in the flesh, protect us from speaking out against you, protect us from not trusting you, just be our comfort and our guide. I pray that you would help us to take your word seriously. Lord, help us to treat your word like the gourmet superfood meal that it is and not treat it like junk food, not treat it like casual, not treat it just as something that that is just available and it's just kind of there and we can have it, but would we see how precious it is? Would we see how, how important it is to spend time with you, to dwell with you? As we prepare for the retreat, would you give us that attitude that Moses had of, God, we're not going to leave until you go before us. We're going to dwell with you. We're going to stay with you. We're going to be with you. Give us that attitude. Help us to not give in to the pressures of life and schedules and entertainment Um, but help us to learn to dwell with you, to be with you, to let you sustain us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.